Welcome to the Proclaim podcast, where we sit down with missionary disciples and talk all things around sharing Jesus with others. So welcome back to our Proclaim podcast, and we're in the middle of a series of podcast episodes discussing the intentional accompaniment model that has been formulated over time and experience through Catholic Christian Outreach. Uh, they've had many, many years of, um, of learning how to evangelize through relationships and how to bring people into conversion and into relationship with Jesus, and then to send them out to be um, not only his disciples, but missionary disciples, as Pope Francis has invited all of us uh, to form and to become. Uh, now I'm here again with Michael Hall, the author of Intentional Accompaniment. Uh, we had a great conversation last time around conversion, and now we're going to talk about uh, the bottom portion of the framework. Uh, if you're familiar with the visual model, the framework is in the shape of an hourglass, and everything at the bottom component of that hourglass really is pointing towards that conversion that we discussed about, that moment where someone can make a faithful decision to put Jesus at the center of their life and to follow him. So, Michael, let's just dive right into it. Let's talk about that bottom portion of the um, of the framework. Uh, they're classically called the thresholds of conversion. Uh, let's just talk about, you know, how we can use that in intentional accompaniment. Okay. Um Let's just jump right into it. So there's uh, the different stages that we use at the bottom of the hourglass. Uh, we start with trust, then curiosity, openness, and then seeking. And really, trust is the foundation of the whole thing, that you you can't move forward unless there's trust in the relationship. And that's why the, the accompaniment aspect of intentional accompaniment uh, plays such an important role, especially here. Um, we have to have that closeness to people. I mean, it, you know, Pope Francis was talking about the spiritual closeness that we need to have. Another way to put it is just, you need to be a good friend to people. You need to engage with them in relationship. Um, they need to learn to trust you, to be able to trust your intentions, uh, to trust your character so that they can trust the words that are coming out of your mouth. They can trust the example that you're trying to, to share with them. Um, one thing we can do, though, is sometimes we can feel like trust will take a really long time to build, and we can almost hide behind the idea that we're, we're building trust with somebody. And it is true that sometimes building trust can take a long time. There might be many barriers for somebody to work through, barriers with God, barriers with the church, maybe even barriers with you, um, that they need to be able to, to work their way through. And so you have to kind of move at the speed of their trust. Uh, but often, the trust moves quicker than you realize. Um, and people don't have as many barriers, or the barriers aren't as huge as you think they are. Um, and so uh, what can happen is sometimes that trust is built in five minutes. And I think an example of where you can really experience that is when you're working within an existing ministry that somebody's come to. Um, this is a, you know something I share with our campus missionaries often, that when somebody shows up to your faith study group, then they've already demonstrated that they have some level of trust just by the fact that they showed up. Nobody made them do that. And I think the same can be said for many of our parish activities, that when somebody gives you that, that in, that they've said yes to showing up to that 
that alpha course or showing up to that faith study group or to, um, you know, even to your, your marriage preparation course. Um, there's something there. It, it might be really small, but there's some level of trust that they've given that you can now move forward knowing that you have some level of trust. You got to continue to build it still, but there's already something there. Let's so, stick with trust for a little bit, Michael, because this is, I mean, yeah. it's so foundational to relational evangelization. And I think that's, uh, that approach to evangelization is such a, I guess, a, a prominent part of how CCO approaches. It's the only part way in which CCO approaches evangelization. And, um, and, you know, we can probably look at parish evangelization as maybe another approach, but, uh, individuals reaching individuals, um, has to have this element of trust built into it. And I love how you've kind of broken it down into ways in which we can build trust, you know, through actions and through the way in which, you know, we interact with others, but also the way in which we live our lives is a witness, as a witness to being a disciple can build trust. So like we want to live as though Jesus made a huge difference in our lives. We want to live as though he is real and he is normal in our life. Um, I think those are, those are so important to uh, the way in which we build trust. And it, to me, it, it ties into one of the proclaimed values that we live out of an irresistible faith, that the way in which we present ourselves to the world is, is one where our character and the way in which we've lived our lives is so attractive to others that they can't help but at least ask what's different or you know, why is it that you live the way you live? So I'd say trust is definitely uh, a huge part in the, the foundational part in evangelization. Now, here's a question um, that I'd love to ask. How, how can I strengthen my, like, my trust meter? Meaning when I'm talking with someone and like they're saying, the way in which we interact, like how do I gauge the level of trust that I have with an individual? Well, I think one of the best things we can do to build trust is actually to stop talking. And <laughs> yes. Right? Yeah. Um, everybody wants to be listened. And I'm, I'm especially thinking of when we have any sort of outreach effort. So whether that's, you know, again, I know like Alpha is a very popular way of doing that, that we use an Alpha program. We, we, we invite people from all walks of life, all stages of Catholicity or not at all, you know, never had any experience with it. Um, they, they, people want to be able to talk about their stories, just to be able to be heard um, and to, to be met in a non-judgmental way. Um, so I think that's, that's important to let us uh, or to let others speak and just listen and, and hear their story and, um, and, and not have to jump in and, and say, oh, that might not be correct or something like that. There's just uh, that moment of non-judgmental listening that it, there'll be a time and a place to be able to um, to speak to somebody about elements of their life that maybe should be done differently or that might not line up with church teaching and all those sorts of things. Uh, it's probably not in those first conversations as you're trying to build trust. It's more so an opportunity just to hear, to listen, uh, and then to to build build rapport with that person. Just build upon what they're saying. See what interests them. Um, you know, the more you speak to them about the things that that are engaging for them, less so what's engaging for you. You know, it's not a matter of, well, 
what are my favorite things to talk about in a faith context or, you know, it's, it's about, well, what does this person want to talk about? What's, what's of interest to them? What are they struggling with? What, what can I see? And that really is going to come through listening and through asking questions. So the more we do that, the more we're showing that we're engaged with them, that we're interested in them, that, um, you know, in a way like we don't have an agenda of the things I want to talk about, but I want to reach you. I want to get to know you, which really boils down to building friendships. Um, and, and especially then with those that you maybe have relationships with, maybe people in your family, in your workplace, um, you know, the more you're just engaging with them in all the normal ways you build a relationship with people. Invite them over for dinner when we're allowed to do those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and watch a game together, go to a movie together, um, Find out the things they're interested in that maybe you maybe you both share an interest in photography. Uh, go, go take pictures together. Talk about you you know those things. All those little ways that you're building trust because you're just building a relationship. And in the end, that's the key is that this this model is built on relationships. It's built on a relational ministry, and that means that you have to actually have a relationship with these people that they feel like you care for them. The more you can do that. Um, the more you'll see that trust build. And as that happens, uh, I think, and, and we'll all know this from different relationships, that as you'll see the trust is growing by the things that they will share with you, that they maybe become a little less guarded, that they start sharing things um, that you didn't know about them in the past, but they're more willing to open up about their, their family, their history, their thoughts on particular ideas. Some people come to those way faster than others, but as you see that, that coming, I often think of, um, you know, my, my son is, is a hockey player. And so some of the other dads that, um, you know, we, you sit around, especially at the beginning of the season, you, you kind of sit around and the only thing you really talk about was what's happening on the ice. Um, and then it slowly moves into like, oh, and well, where do you live? And oh, what do you do? And then it moves into like, oh, do you have other kids? And, and then all of a sudden it might get into like something a little more deep and you can just see that the relationship is is shifting um and as that relationship shifts and there's more trust that's happening then that gives you an opportunity to be able to to ask maybe more directed questions to kind of get a sense for where they are with faith if that's a important part of their life or if it's not a part of their life and so um yeah there's a couple of different ways i don't know maybe you could throw stuff in there too eric you've got a lot of (laughs) you got a lot of examples in your own i'm sure well i think a few things that come to mind would be the fact that the skill of listening and the skill of asking questions um, are are things that we as missionary disciples have to develop and when i think of schooling and like all that time that we spent learning how to communicate we learned how to write we learned how to speak we learned how to communicate outwardly I don't remember like, you know, a, a unit on listening or, uh, you know, or, or a lesson plan on how to ask really good questions in order to listen well. So that to me is an, uh, I guess, an underdeveloped skill overall for missionary disciples. And it's such an important skill to have because not only does it build trust, but it gives us insight into the heart of the people that we're reaching. The other thing that I hear from you as a, as a gauge that can help that trust would be when you hear people start moving in their conversations and what they share from opinions, facts, activities, interests, and hobbies to 
relationships, emotions, um, the things that are a little bit more vulnerable and sensitive to them, I think those are easy gauges to, um, to help, I guess, identify, okay, trust is being built. So you talk about like the hockey conversations, you're sitting in the, in the benches with a parent and the parent is just spouting off about, you know, oh, I don't like the ref or like the coaches, whatever, or like, this is my favorite hockey team. I, you know, I can't believe you're a Leafs fan and like all these things. And, and, you know, those are kind of like surface level questions, but when it moves from opinions and facts and activities to something that's more relational and emotional and more experiential, then you could, you know, the, the conversation could look like, you know, a, a guy saying, yeah, like, I'm always going to be at this game, at my kids' games, because my dad was never at mine. All of a sudden, there's been an opening and a willing, like almost a, a permission to kind of, kind of go to a place that's like less surface and more in touch with the heart. And as we learned in our previous podcast, conversion occurs in the heart. And so when someone open up, opens up their heart in that way, then we can kind of get a bit of a gauge to say, okay, trust is being built. This is a good thing. I can think of, you know, using the the hockey example, there was, um, my son had his first away tournament. This was, would have been about a year and a half ago now, but, uh, and it was kind of in the back quarter of the, of the season. So we had been together with these parents now for a long time and, uh, I'm I'm the one who is more likely to take David to his hockey games, so I'm I'm seeing these parents, you know, often three, sometimes four times a week, depending on how busy the schedule was. Um, and so you, yeah, you build relationships, and and so we have our first tournament, you know, out of the, out of the city, and um, and we we're at this the the place where they had the tournament was a bit of a ski resort. It was you know kind of a little bit swanky to do it that way, and so there's you know all these different opportunities to spend time together with the other parents and. Um, well, one of the things we had to do is, you know, it's over Saturday, Sunday, so I'm looking for how do I get to mass? And we, um, so I had to inform, you know, the team manager and some of these people like, I, we may not be at that team potluck because David and I are just going to scoot out to church on Saturday night for the, you know, the, the anticipated mass. And, uh, and then, you know, if we can get back in time, we'll, we'll come join everybody else. Well, of course, then that became known on the team that you know david and his dad had to scoot out to go to mass um and it was amazing then over the next about 12 hours or so how many conversations i had with other parents um just uh, like everything from uh the coach showing me his tattoo to tell me about how uh you know he he really considers himself a christian he doesn't you know necessarily do all the organized stuff but you know this tattoo really has a, into his mind a christian meaning and uh, one of the other dads asking me, oh, so what do you do? And so I'm telling you about well, working for CCO as best as I can. And um, and we got into a whole conversation about, well, do young people still go to church? And is that really something that's of interest to people still? And yeah, I guess I grew up with that a little bit. And to having a conversation about natural family planning with a, with a mom on the team, um, that was a little bit stranger. But, you know, like <laughs> all of a sudden, these, these things started opening up. Um, but that wouldn't have happened if that tournament had been like the first weekend, you know, right. but there, we had had that, we had months of, of just spending time together at the rinks and little conversations here and there. And, um, you know, nothing dramatic came of those, but there was a moment of openness that came. 
yeah. um, that, that wouldn't have been there had there not been that level of trust. Yeah. I could see a lot of parents listening to this right now and, and saying, man, I've, I've probably been in a number of these types of conversations where, um, you know, it might not be a direct conversation of faith, but something has come about as a result of relationship building. And um, I actually want to tie it back to what we had talked about in our previous podcast on conversion and how we can learn how to share what Jesus has done for us and the decision we've made, because ultimately that, that comes down, I guess, some of the questions that we can have around natural family planning or why we go to church or how we live our life or why faith is important comes down to why it matters for us. And the why is a who. It's Jesus. Mm-hmm. We have met him. He has changed our life. We have decided to follow him. And this is the why, the reason, the why behind you know, what we do with our very lives. And so the skill of sharing testimony and sharing what Jesus has done for us and how we have experienced conversion how, and how we have made a decision plays a huge part in conversational and relational evangelization where you're finding yourselves with parents at a, at a hockey tournament and they're asking these questions and we have to get really good at, I guess, holding the trust, but also sharing what has been so important, what is at the center of why we, we do what we do. Yeah. And, and just the more you're able to, to share from the heart, you know, and yes. to be able to, to just be authentic, um, you don't need to hold back. Um, but you don't need to dump everything on people either. They're yes. not looking for that. And so there's very much, um, it's kind of like you're, you're, you're dipping your toe into the water and just, just seeing. And if it feels all right, then you kind of go a little bit further. Maybe get your whole foot in there and see how it goes. And it's very much like that with the conversation. You know, if I use these hockey examples again, I didn't start any of those conversations. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I didn't uh, broadcast to the team. Hey, everybody, I'm going to church. And I don't know if any of the rest of you want to come with me or not. No. Okay. Well, we can have conversations later. Like it, It's nothing like that. It was just, there was something in the witness you know, and then they maybe started to put two and two together. How on Sunday morning games, David would hustle out of the change room because, well, we had to get to mass, you yes. know, and, and everybody else kind of lingered. We were hustling out and he all of a sudden was dressed up, you know, as he was leaving the dressing room for his 830 in the morning hockey game when everybody else was in their sweats as they were going back to just, you know, lounge around. So, you know, it just started to come up and and then you just kind of keep going. I mean, again, like with <laughs> that natural family planning commit conversation, I definitely did not start that conversation. Um, <laughs> yeah. But that's where it ended up after we talked about how our kids were both altar servers and right, uh, you know, and just things like that all just started to come up, you know. And and the wife was sharing, well, my husband isn't Catholic, but I am, and that's kind of important to me. But I try to bring the kids to church, you know. It just, yeah, um, it was all just. You know, and a lot of listening again and letting them kind of lead, but then asking the next question to see, well, can we, can we take another step forward? Will you, will you let me go here? You know, yeah. and if the answer is no, then you just take a step back and you've mm-hmm. gone as far as you can go in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you've, um, we've kind of bridged into the other thresholds of conversion, the other stages. Um, trust is certainly foundational, but then trust moves into curiosity open and openness and then seeking. And so Mm -hmm. some of the conversations I'm sure that you had in like with the parents um, started out of curiosity. So let's jump into that next stage of curiosity, what it is, what it looks like and how we've experienced and how we've experienced it. 
So curiosity, I would say, is uh, it, it's when people are asking maybe the one-off question um, about faith, about elements related to faith, but they aren't on any sort of sustained search in their life. But they're curious. Maybe they're curious, you know, so for the example of, you know, again, I'll go back to my, my hockey tournament example, you know, the the one dad that we, we had a conversation about, you know, youth in the church and that sort of thing. Well, it just started off with the question of what do you do for a living? And, um, you know, obviously when we talk about working within the church, that's a very unique sort of job. Um, and that, but the way that people respond is very indicative of their thoughts on that. Some people are like, oh, that's interesting. And they don't want to talk about it anymore. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and others start asking questions about like, oh, that's, how did you get into that sort of work? What do you do? People still go to church, you know? Um, so there was curiosity, but he didn't start going down the road, you know, as I would share about, yeah, like people are really, they really start to have a personal connection with their faith. He didn't start to ask, oh, what does that look like? Tell me how I could have that. So his curiosity only went so far. And we can only, you know, again, it's kind of that dipping your toe in and just seeing how far you can go. You kind of ask questions until they kind of, you know, without them having to say, stop asking questions, but they give you that, you know, indication that we've gone as far as we're going to go. Yeah, they give you uh, permission to open the conversation or not, based on the way they respond to what you say. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Last episode on conversion, I shared that sort of comparison to kayaking. And I, I bring that up because my pastor is a, is a kayaker and I love him and I love uh, his, like, just his passion and interest for for the sport. And it's also a little bit of, um, I guess, a non-threatening comparison because it's it doesn't kind of speak into faith. And I know some some of us can feel a little bit, you know, hesitant to enter into a conversation. But you know, I could I could imagine Father Matthew, my pastor, standing at the back of the church, and you know, someone asks him, "Hey, I heard you're a kayaker. Tell me all about it." And Father Matthew wouldn't say like, "Oh, you're 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 a rock climber. I, you know, I don't want to impose and." Like, I don't want to, I don't want to really tell you about like what kayaking is about because you're a rock climber and I, I'm a kayaker and like, we shouldn't offend each other. And like, it's, it's never like that. It really is more of a, yeah, like I kayak. What's it like on the water? Oh, I love being able to touch the water, be so close. And, like, you know, you kind of have to use these muscles in your back and blah, blah, blah. And like a rock climber might say, that's cool. I hate swimming. Right. And, uh, and the conversation's done, but it's, there's still mutual respect and admiration. I think curiosity is really about just kind of like, yeah, asking the questions or allowing people to ask questions about faith and, and you responding and matching their interest, um, with the way in which you respond. And you can just say it matter of factly and, um, and even share, you know, why, why Jesus is important to you and why going to mass is important and, and all those things. So. Yeah. And I think the matching part is is really key there that you're you are you're matching their level of curiosity and not pushing but you're you're gonna push a little just to see if you can go any further but not push so hard that it would turn them off right you know it's test just the waters. like yeah yeah test the waters and then if, take that step back and just kind of stay where you are if you need to um where things are are where they feel safe and comfortable in the conversation and and then maybe next time it'll go a little bit further or maybe it Maybe your job will just have been to have had that conversation and somebody else down the road will pick up right um, from where you were. But yeah. the but it's always just, you know, being ready to to match their curiosity, to go there, you know, go wherever it is that they're willing to go um, and see how far it'll go and then take that step back if need be. You know, the unique 
the unique experience of testing the water um, has in it a built-in, I guess, sense of risk because you're testing the water. Like something could like not be right in testing the water. Um, and so as missionary disciples, I'm just thinking about these conversations. I'm in a conversation with someone, and if I'm going to test the water, it means that it could go one way or another, and um, and it's going to feel risky. And so if I'm going to try to ask a question, like something that might be, might be welling in my heart is like, if I say this thing, which way is it going to go? And the temptation could be to not say the thing at all. And And this is where I think the Holy Spirit really has to be, you know, animated in your life to give you the conviction that either you say the thing or you don't say the thing. If you say the thing, you're testing the waters. It could go either way and be prepared for it to go either way. If like if someone says the thing that's that's kind of like freaking you out and, you know, and kind of rejects sort of your your prod, not your prodding, your inquiry, um, just be prepared for that, and, you know, and to just kind of stay where that where you're at and, you know, let it roll on and and be kind and respectful in the conversation. Uh, but if it if it elevates and there is further interest, be ready for that as well. Um, almost expect it because I think that really is also what the Holy Spirit wants um, to do in people's lives. There's always a gentle nudging and an invitation to, um, to, to, to know more um, and to, to be closer to Jesus. And we know that every need of the human heart is fulfilled in Jesus. So whatever needs our, the people in our proximate periphery has, um, eventually, like we know by, you know, by our experience and by faith that it, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come to Jesus. But um, according to his will and his timing, you know, we want to be able to offer those gentle invitations. And this is where trust is so important, right? Because yes. when you have a relationship with a person, you can test the waters. When there's no relationship of trust, that testing could break the relationship because they have no foundation. They're like, oh, you're being a little pushy with that question. Yes. But when you have a relationship with somebody, and again, this can happen in just a few minutes. It doesn't have to take years to get there. Um, but when you have that basis of they can, they they trust your intentions, they trust your character, um, then, yeah, you have that freedom to be able to to push a little bit, just like you would with one of your regular friends in regular life, you know, yeah. in in another context outside of a faith context. But you would you you could do that, and the, and they would be like, "Whoa, buddy, slow down!" Yep. But it's not going to break the relationship because they trust you, they know you, and so that's where again it, everything on that foundation of trust. But then trust gives you the permission to be able to 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 do that little bit of testing, to take that that's little great. bit of a risk. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so we were in curiosity. Now let's move into openness. What does the conversation look like for someone who's kind of in that space of openness? So openness is when I think they're really starting to ask the questions, you know, could this be true? Right. Could this thing about faith be true? Um, so now your, uh, your activity, the way you're approaching your missionary conversation with this person, there's a bit of a shift, I think, that's happening. Uh, primarily, you've been, uh, what we would say, you know, we use the term your strategic action, which is, um, we can explain that another time maybe, but the, you know, the idea there is that you're, you're witnessing. You know, that's for your primary mode that you're, you're operating in here is that you're witnessing. Uh, when somebody, you know, as you're building trust, as somebody's in curiosity, you're sharing uh, about faith, very much from a witness perspective, but now you're moving into a proclamation that you want to be able to bring the kerygma more um, 
formally into your conversations. It's not that you wouldn't share the kerygma earlier, but it's more it's more the focus now because now you see that this person's moving to really asking. They're on more of a sustained search about faith, mm-hmm. um, of about the Lord, and so they are really starting to move towards conversion at maybe even a faster rate than before. And so now we need to start grounding them in the truths about conversion, uh, which will ultimately mean introducing to the kerygma, so they're being introduced to the person of Jesus. Um, so people in this stage, they really are asking, they're not yet ready to give their whole lives, but what they're, they're starting to ask the question of, could this be true? You know, it's not yet the question. The, ne- the question in the next in seeking is, could this be for me? Right. Which is different than, could this be true? But right. here they're asking, could this be true? Which is a great time for a lot of the different programs that are out there, because now they're asking the questions that these programs will answer. Again, you know, and point to you know, Discovery Alpha being two of the great examples, and there's so many more out there, where they now you're really introducing them to the basic truths of the faith because that's what they're showing you they're interested in. Okay. Um, okay. So. A conversation that would be in curiosity, let's say around Jesus, right? Like, uh, I'll just kind of say, you somehow came to the point where you're saying, well, I believe that Jesus is God. And uh, someone in curiosity would be like, oh, that's interesting. Okay, thanks for letting me know. Um, But someone who's in um, the, the stage of openness is now asking more of the questions like, well, how do you believe that? Like, tell me more about like why you believe Jesus is God and how that came to be like part of your faith. Like mm-hmm. how did that, how was that revealed and why is it that you believe that? So like, is that kind of some of the differences in, in those stages where now the inquiry starts to become more about understanding? And it can, I think it broadens as well. So they might go, so if Jesus is God, what is, okay, what does that mean then for like, well, what's the church's role in all of that? Or, okay. How does that fit in? So they're starting to, you know, kind of, because they're on a more sustained search, they're, they're, they're willing to keep asking questions, and they might start branching off to, be, to start making the connections between things. Right. Um, or you might be able to show them that connection, and they go, oh, okay, tell me more about that then. Uh, so again, you know, if you're, we would talk about God's love, and they go, okay, that's really interesting. Um, but then you can say, well, you know, you can ask that next question, of like, well, okay, if God loves us, but like, do you experience that on a daily basis? The mm-hmm. person will say, well, no. I say, okay, well now, like, why do you think that is? Mm-hmm. Let's, and they, they might be like, huh, that's really interesting. Why do you think that is? Where, and now you, you have the opening to start saying, well, actually, because our relationship's been broken. And why do you think that relationship be broken? What do you think the problem is? You know, so you, you're, you can start leading them to, to more and more discovery because they're really showing that their interest is more than just a, uh, a curious, like, why do you guys believe the stuff you believe? Oh, that's interesting. And move yeah. on. Yeah. You know, and now let's talk about the hockey game. You know, yeah. But now it's like, no, like, okay, tell me more about that. And tell me more about that. And that's where, especially when you start to see that, that's, that's when you know, okay, I should really start. This is, this is somebody who's really showing interest, who's really showing that they're, they're ready to start really digging in and searching. And yeah. I, can, I can start bringing things um, more deliberately uh, and, and a more focused way to to bring them to the charisma and to the truth of the faith. Yeah, I'm holding on to that word sustained uh, because you you mentioned in um, curiosity that 
there isn't really that sustained search. And that could look like, you know, passing by type conversations at the barbecue, sitting at the, um, you know, at the, in the bleachers at a hockey game. And, uh, and then, uh, and, and it, it could just feel almost like a one-off, but the relationship and the friendship is still there. You talk about all kinds of other things, but there isn't, there isn't like a leaning in to what the conversation's about. And, uh, I love that you've tied in the program component of intentional accompaniment, really finding its place, uh, with those who are in, who are open, uh, in, in their search. And um, I guess also I want to extend um, the example to people in our parish communities where a lot of our parishes are working on evangelizing their communities to bring Jesus uh, to the center of their lives. And some of the conversations we can have even around like deeper matters of faith, not just from an intellectual standpoint, you know, about knowledge, but also about like knowledge of relationship with Jesus. Um like we could probably find ourselves in conversations that are kind of curiosity, open seeking conversations, even in our own parish communities of faith. Absolutely. I think that it's highly likely we're going to find that because the reality is there are a lot of people who attend our parishes who haven't yet made that decision to, to follow Jesus, to become a disciple who's, you know, actively following him on a daily basis. They, they might come for a number of reasons. Um, they might enjoy the community. They might have been raised in it. And it's kind of always what you've done. Um, they might you know, have a, even a, a belief in God, but they haven't yet said that, that full yes to him personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we're offering you know, any parish program, we're inevitably going to be finding people who are at all the different stages uh, of this model. Like they're going to yeah. be everywhere from trust or, or no trust even, and they're kind of they're there to check it out to on the verge of conversion and those who experienced conversion years ago and are, are, you know, faithfully living out their missionary discipleship. Yeah. So it's really important to have these, you know, if you want to call them like threshold con- uh, conversations. Yeah. Um, yeah. In any context. And I think especially in the parish context, but if they're there, probably there's some level of trust with the church, maybe not full trust, always, or some mm-hmm. level of trust with the people who are there, mm-hmm. some level of trust with God. Um, they're showing at least curiosity because they showed up. Um, yes. And maybe even beyond that, that maybe they actually are like open and maybe even seeking. Uh, they may not even fully realize it yet themselves, but yeah. there's something that's leading them to be there. Um, in other programs, there's going to be people who, you know, I think of you know, many years of working in marriage preparation, there's lots of people who are there and they don't have any trust and they don't have any curiosity. They are there simply because they're told they had to be. But then that can inform our approach to say, okay, well, then maybe the thing I need to do right now, it's the most important thing I can do is build trust Yes, with the people who are here because that might actually lead them to be curious, which could then lead the way down to them being open and seeking but if i don't ever build trust they won't take those next steps Mm -hmm. yeah yeah even in the way you've presented that shows to me also that um like these stages these thresholds they're not kind of like steps in the sense that like once you've moved from trust to curiosity that you're not going to move back and um that there's there's a lot of fluidity around these things and even in, in one's life there could be real curiosity type conversations 
and seeking conversations happening at the same time. Um, Absolutely. So that's, I think, really important to note for those who are learning um, how to, I guess, understand this framework. Let's go right into that last uh, stage, uh, the seeking stage, which is right at the cusp of conversion in the mm -hmm. in the model. What do what do what? How would you, I guess, define seeking, and what are the conversations like in this stage? So when we're at the the point of seeking, we're really starting to say, I I believe that what the church teaches is true. At least in it's the basic message of the charisma. They may they they probably haven't wrapped their minds around all of the doctrines of the church, um, but the 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 intellectual element of conversion is is begun, um, and maybe it might even be I won't say complete. That's the wrong word because we're never done. Um, but in terms of that initial thing that you know initial element that they've said, yeah, I think I think what they're saying about Jesus is true. I think the you know the the charisma i think i believe that but then there's the question of is it for me and now you're wrestling with the the potential consequences of making that decision because then you start asking okay well if that's true you know if if jesus is god and jesus has some teachings and i'm not living that way what does that mean for me and am i willing to take that step or, okay, they told me that Jesus needs to be at the center of my life. Am I willing to not be the center of my universe? Right. Am I willing to let someone else be in control? Right. To, you know, conform my will to his. Um, you know, these sorts of questions that we need to wrestle with um, because they're, they're big. And, and, we we want people to wrestle with these questions because we we don't want conversion to just be the emotional experience or or something that's fleeting. We want this to be something that can be sustained, which means we need to you know a little bit of counting the cost needs to come into play of like, what does this mean for me if I say yes to this? Yeah, and again, sometimes that happens really fast. That happens in like one conversation that they've they just say, nope, I'm in. I'm saying yes to that. That that often happens. Um, but for others, it might be a real time of wrestling. Um, you know, if this is true, what does that mean for me? And am I am I willing to say yes to this? Yeah, yeah. I I can think of a number of situations where I've I've seen individuals come to this point and either turn away because the cost mm -hmm. is too high, or um, have made a, a very heartfelt, meaningful, convicted decision. And knowing that there are areas in their life that they need to change and are willing to take the time that it requires to, to make those changes. I've also, and I can recall of an individual that I know who has, I guess, had the intellectual conversion, understands uh, that who God is and, uh, and how to approach the world and the biblical worldview and, and the teachings of the church, and is still weighing out the cost and um and for this individual they've you know they've really said like you know i believe all this to be true i know that as soon as i say yes to this i'm i'm gonna have to be all in with my very life and uh and it's like it's beautiful to see that wrestling even though there hasn't been conversion and a decision and this is a non-catholic non-christian so like for him, it's a, it's about a decision to baptism and then to being a full, like a, a, a an all-in missionary disciple. And he knows it. He's like, I'm going to have to give everything. I'm going to give everything. 
I'm going to sell my house. Like, you know, he's giving everything and, and he's going to go all in uh, with being Catholic. And it's beautiful to see, but he's still counting the costs and he's just sitting there and he's counting and he's weighing it and he's considering it. And, you know, he's really trying to understand that. And a lot of that also comes into not just counting the cost in terms of like moral like decisions, but um, relational decisions. Like what's, what's that going to do with the, um, with the relationships that I have around me? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and those are very meaningful, reverent, um, holy and difficult conversations uh, that we as missionary disciples can be very privileged to have in our accompaniment with, uh, with others. I remember reading in Scott Hahn's book, Rome Sweet Home, um, when he gets to the point where he's come to the conviction that Catholicism is true and that he's pretty sure he needs to become a Catholic. And he asks the question, what will Kimberly say? His wife. Because uh, like him, she was a very devout Protestant. And uh, I don't remember the particular denomination, but there, there was just such a, a moment of like, and, and that's so real, like, especially when we're talking about, you know, it's one thing when, you know, when in CCO and we're, we're working with university students and they don't have the, you know, a, a spouse or children who this might impact. It's another thing when you're working in the adult world with people who have families, who have jobs, who, you know, that this might have a consequence on um, extended families. Uh, I mean, I'm, and certainly even, you know, in our work with university students, we see that with people when they're worried about what will my parents think? What will, uh, especially if there's uh, not just like, uh, you know, a Catholic who's embracing the faith they were raised in, but maybe somebody who's not Catholic, who's deciding to, they want to enter RCIA. Um, and, and they start asking, boy, what is this going to mean? Um, sometimes there's a lot to really wrestle with. And in other times, uh, it's maybe a little cleaner in that decision. There's maybe not quite as many factors. It's an easier decision to make. Um, but for some, yeah, it can take a, a lot of wrestling for so many reasons. I, I'm again reminded of St. Augustine's story. I think in the last episode, I mentioned his story as well, that you know, he, he came to that realization too. He's like, when I say yes to this, I'm going to have to go all in. And, uh, and his prayer of like, you know, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. <laughs> you know, it's like an expression of that. It's like, he knew, he knew that once yeah. I'm fully in, like, I'm gonna have to drop all these things that actually I kind of enjoy yes. and are really a part of my life, a part of my friendships, my social circles. Um, and he, he react, he recognized it and it took a long time for him to say, okay, I, I'm willing to now give my yes, knowing full well what that will mean yeah. in other areas of my life. But it doesn't always have to be a huge wrestling. And I don't want, uh, like, as it's really important to recognize that that's what it can be, but also to recognize that it doesn't have to always be this long, arduous process that for many people, it is actually, uh, honestly, a, a split second decision, which maybe it's a little too quick to describe it that way. But it's like, it's a, it's something they can decide very quickly. Yeah. That in, in a conversation, they can go from, um, just beginning to seek to conversion. And, and that's that we can also expect that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I keep going. I, I know I mentioned this in the previous podcast, um, uh, around the, the TV series, um, the chosen and made reference to Mary Magdalene. But when you look at the characters in, in, in the, I guess, in the chosen, those whom Jesus called you kind of see some of those playing out. Like his call of Matthew yeah. was instant. Like, follow yeah. me. 
and he just dropped his keys, left his post, and followed. Then you have Peter, who you know had to witness a like a miracle, um, and then you know on his knees, I will follow you. Um, again, so you know there there needed to be a little bit more of a sort of a breakthrough of of God's grace in the in Peter's life. And then you have Nicodemus, and I, to me, his character just really speaks to that individual who is really weighing the cost right Mm -hmm. you see how he wrestles with understanding that knowing that jesus is the messiah knowing with full conviction that that jesus is the messiah hearing the invitation to follow weighing it against his family his position in jerusalem like all of Mm -hmm. those things and then in the moment where he was unable to follow like just the the tears that you know, that he has, he's leaning up against the wall behind the corner. You see, he was right there. He was right there and he's weighing it and it's real and it's true. Um, and, and I think it's beautiful that like, we have to give people that space to weigh it out and to know Mm -hmm. that at, at some points there will be decisions that will be, um, that will be made. And, you know, we know in the scriptures, Nicodemus returns and, um, you know, and has a, a a part to play in um, in the crucifixion and the pass in the in the passion story. So, um, anyways, all that to say, like there are so many different journeys that we make throughout these thresholds. The aim is to bring people to conversion. Um, our jobs as missionary disciples is to hold that journey with reverence and to accompany them and allow them, I guess, to set the pace. And to set uh, and to allow their their curiosity and their openness and their seeking to move as God wills it. Now you got me thinking about all the chosen characters because it's so true. I, I love that that you're pulling that out. Uh, I was thinking immediately of Philip because he's kind of like right in the middle of them, right? Like yeah. where he's got he's got the successful business with um it's, uh, that the woman's father. It's like not you know they're not in a relationship, but like kind of <laughs> almost you know like yeah yeah. Um, and and the way that you know they walk away from the business, the family business that everybody was kind of like, well, Philip's going to marry the girl and take it over, and now all of a yep. sudden, not only is he leaving the family business, he's taking the girl with him. Yes, you know, and the dad is not happy about it, and yes. he confronts Jesus about it. You know, it's just yeah, all the different elements that people have to to weigh, and and yeah. we don't ever fully know, you know, what all the different things that somebody's weighing. As they're in this, you know, maybe they'll share it with us. Maybe it's obvious in some cases, um, but there's just so many things on a person's mind as they're going through this. Yeah. But again, don't necessarily expect that it just has to be long and arduous. Like it might be really fast. Yeah. Like you said, just like Matthew, you know, and just like, okay, I'm in, I'll follow. Yes. Yeah. There you go. So we've, we've plugged the chosen. If, if you haven't (laughs) seen it, it is a... I mean, my family loves watching it. We've watched it a few times. We wait for every new episode because it really, I guess, puts into mind the relational connection between Jesus and his followers, his disciples. And it and it animates for us, I guess, an understanding of what it means to put Jesus at the center and to respond to the call to follow him. So there's our plug for The Chosen. Um, but we're also going to plug Michael's book, Intentional Accompaniment, uh, which you can get at store.cco.ca. Um, Michael, we ran this one a little longer because I, I, I just absolutely love these conversations with you. They're, they're so rich. 
um, but they're also steeped in experience and real life um, examples and um, and interactions with people. Um, to our Proclaim listeners, this is uh, one of a series of podcasts that we will take on uh, around the topic of intentional accompaniment. So stay tuned for more episodes as we do another deep dive into another aspect of intentional accompaniment. So Michael, thank you again for joining us and we will jump on our podcast um, next time. Let's do it again. Let's do it again.